going to be in the book of Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. I know the bulletin says we'll be looking at verses uh, 9 through 13. We'll read those each week through the Lord's Prayer. And if you would like a pew Bible, there's one near you. That should be on page 811. 811. So the question that you would think as we begin a series like this is the question of how is your prayer life? What is your prayer life like? Sometimes it's a struggle, isn't it? Sometimes it's, it's wonderful, it's glorious. You, can, you, could just, you know you're in the presence of the Lord. Other times you're like, well, did I pray? Did I even pray? Did I do that? So in this passage this morning, you will see that this is in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, this, this particular passage is also somewhat in abbreviated form in Luke 11. And it's in that passage... Uh, Jesus is being asked by his disciples, will you teach us to pray? In this particular passage that we're looking at, it's in the Sermon on the Mount. So he's teaching his disciples there that were gathered to hear him to, to preach uh, about prayer and, and instruction on sincere worship before the Heavenly Father. It's kind of a, in a section here that this prayer is located. To kind of set the context... In verse 5 of, of Matthew 6, Jesus says, don't pray like the hypocrites. Don't pray like them. They want to draw attention to themselves in public. And, and they want the, prayer, the praise and adoration of man by their great and wondrous prayers. Then he kind of heads into this idea of uh, the prayers that were practiced by the Gentiles. He denounces those prayers as well. They're lengthy, they're empty phrases and words. And one commentator said the motive here that he's talking about is, is that they, the pagans, had in mind that if they could just pray longer and louder and harder and greater, the more chance it would be that their God would hear them. And so Jesus is warning his people his people against that kind of praying. And so with this context in mind, uh, let's turn to our Bibles. Let's look in Matthew 6, 9, and let's look at this prayer. And remember, it was given, it's called the Lord's Prayer, but it's probably more appropriately called the Disciples' Prayer or the Christian's Prayer because it was given by the Lord to us as, as a model of prayer that would draw us in intimacy with the Father through the Savior. Uh, so we're going to go through this again, as I said before the service, phrase by phrase, meditate on the specifics of this prayer, and hopefully grow in this means of grace that the Lord has given us. So let's turn our attention to the passage. Let's hear it. Hear the word of the Lord. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for what it means. Even now as we approach you, we approach you in prayer. We approach you, Lord, as our God. And so by the power of your Spirit, make these words come alive to us that we would hear, that we would learn, that we would grasp this and learn to pray more effectively. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Today, again, we're going to focus on the, the phrase, our Father in heaven. 
our Father in heaven. Now, many thoughts might come to our mind when we think about fathers. Perhaps maybe some of yours would be something like this. Jeannie Graves tells a story about her family watching uh, old slides of, their, their, of, their family, of her family growing up when she was a little girl. One particular slide came up on the screen and it caught everyone's attention. There her father was wearing this golf shirt and he was holding her at the tender age of three. And uh, he looked at, at, uh, at the picture and he said, there's my prized possession. His daughter looked over at him and she smiled as he continued. I wonder whatever happened to that golf shirt. True story. As one lady observed, she, she was in the grocery store, local grocery store, and a father was walking around with his son and he was checking off stuff and he was in the freezer section and he checked off something and he said, son, if we really do a bad job at this, we may never have to do it again. Judy Mulvey noted that her dad is old school and that he keeps all his money in the underwear drawer. I wonder, do you guys do that? I, you know, as I was thinking about this, I'm like, I wonder how many guys, I could think of several guys in our church that might do this. One day, she bought him this, uh, this personal safe. It's in the shape of a paint can and it has a false bottom so that he could put his money in that, uh, the, the can and then stick it in a workshop. So it's kind of hidden out of the way. No one would think to look there. Later, she asked her mom, has he been using that can? Has he been using it? She said, oh, yes. He put his money in there the same day. And she smiled. She said, that's great. Nobody would ever think to look in the garage. She goes, honey, they wouldn't have to. He still sticks it in the underwear drawer. <laughs> Why does that make me think of Rick Lenz? I just wonder. Why does that make me think of Rick Lenz? Now, these are not the thoughts of a father that we are called to focus on in this text. Neither are we to think of the father as some earthly fathers in their lowest estate. Um, perhaps you can understand what I mean by this. Those fathers who are abandoning. Those fathers who are abusive, harsh, demeaning, or cruel. That's not what the Scripture is calling us to here. The Scripture is calling us to think much higher. Uh, even, in, and this is how I would put it, when you think of your heavenly Father, you are to think of a Father in the perfect state. Perfected. That is the designation that the heavenly Father would have for us. And so what does it look like for us to call God our Father? And how might this draw us into deeper intimacy with Him in prayer? The overall answer to that for us today is this. For us to call God our Father points us to the loving Creator and the incredible privilege to access we truly have as His children. That is what we're to see here. To unpack this, I want us to consider that our Heavenly Father is personal, our Heavenly Father is great, and our Heavenly Father is loving. He is personal, He is great, He is loving. So let's look at the first one. Our Heavenly Father is personal. Father, or pater, here in the Greek, or maybe in the original uh, Semitic, the scholars say that it was probably originally Abba, translated into Greek. 
how whatever the case may be, it, Father, Pater, is a common word for us to use in Christian gatherings and circles and even privately in our prayer as we address the Father. Actually, I'm not sure that you've ever sat through a worship service here at Christ Community Church where that's not used because it's very central to our Christian experience. Because of that, because it's so common, I would venture to say that unless you've studied the address of Father in detail in various New Testament studies, you may miss, be missing out on one of the most radical teachings that Jesus expounded upon and granted to us, the children of God, the heirs of God. You might be missing out on something. It was some years ago that a German scholar by the name of Joachim Jeremias was doing research on various New Testament literature. And in his studies, he discovered that in the entire history of Judaism, in all the existing books of the Old Testament, and all the existing books of extra-biblical Jewish writings dating back from Judaism until the 10th century A.D. in Italy, there is not a single reference to a Jewish person addressing God directly in the first person as Father. Amazing. Boyce spoke in, in speaking of this notes that it is true, of course, that in one sense the title, title Father for God is, is, is itself as old as religion. However, that address was always impersonal. And so in the Greek and in the ancient Near Eastern culture, the address for God was always carried with this connotation of impersonal kingship or lordship in terms of ruling over mankind. As a matter of fact, as you go into the Old Testament, you'll see this term some. It's, it's occasionally there. It's not there a lot, but it's occasionally there. But even there, when the Old Testament uses Father as a designation of God's relationship to Israel, it's always in an impersonal sense. And so as you think about that information, that incredible information there, what difference does it make? Then to us and to the, in the teaching of Jesus. What, what difference did Jesus make when he came on the scene? J.I. Packer puts it this way in Knowing God. You sum up the whole New Testament teaching in a single phrase if you speak of it as a revelation of the fatherhood of the Holy Creator. Sinclair Ferguson adds, you cannot open the pages of the New Testament without realizing that one of the things that makes it so new in every way is that here men and women call God Father. And so let it settle into your minds here. The, the first Jewish person, the first rabbi to call God Father directly in a personal sense was Jesus of Nazareth. It was an incredible, radical departure from the traditional Jewish mindset. And it was for that reason that many of, Jewish, the G, that G, many of Jesus' enemies sought to destroy Him. He dared assume to have intimate, personal relationship with the sovereign God of heaven, the Creator of all things. How dare He? He dared to speak in such intimate terms with God. What is even more radical than that, though, is this. That Jesus says to the people, to you, 
pray like this. Our Father. He has given us the right and the privilege to come into the presence and the glory and the majesty of God and address Him as Father. Because He came to open up the door to that relational intimacy. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 8. You know, Romans 8 is one of those passages that most of us have pretty ingrained in our hearts and minds. Listen to Romans 8. For all who were led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received um, the spirit of adoptions as son, sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness to our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and heirs with Christ. This is what the New Testament teaches. Listen to John. John reveals this. It's very subtle. It's, it's after he's resurrected. He's talking to Mary at the tomb. Listen to what he says. Do not cling to me. Because she's clinging to him. You know, he's resurrected. He's been raised from the dead. She's clinging to him. And he says, don't cling to me. I have not yet ascended to my father. But go tell my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father. They want us to see throughout this that He has adopted those who are in Christ into His family and made them co-heirs with His only begotten Son. How might, just how might that encourage you in your prayer life? Knowing that God is your Father, that through Jesus Christ, the door of intimacy has been opened. How might that encourage you? What about today if you're here and, and you're uh, um, uh, not a believer? If you're here and you're not a believer, how might that encourage you? Let me put it this way, okay? Uh, say Conrad Beatty over here. You know, he's a father. He's a father, right? But that does not give me the right to go to Conrad and say, Daddy, I need $500. Do you get what I'm saying there? I am not going to go to Conrad and say, Daddy, I need $500. Now, I might after today. I might just do that. But if he were my father, if he were my literal earthly father, it would give me at least the right to approach him as a son and ask, do you see the difference? So if you're an unbeliever here today, you need to consider that. There's a difference there's a difference in how we can approach God between believers and unbelievers. Someone would say, do you think God even hears the prayers of unbelievers? And I'm like, I don't want to say no, because you at least have to cry out to Him to receive Him. But never in the same way as He does believers. Never. And so we have to realize that it is an unspeakable privilege to be true adopted sons and daughters and approach the Creator of all things, space and time, as Father. Nothing. Think about it. If that is the case, if He's the one that's opened the door, and He is the one who has, He is the one who sent Christ, so He's opened the door to this, then it must beg the question, is there anything more pleasing to Him than to hear His child say, Father? And I know what you're thinking. Sometimes, and I'm guilty of this too, 
I see my children. Yesterday it happened. Aaliyah ran right by me and went to her mother. Why? Because I'm probably not going to pay attention to her the first time as her need comes. So again, we have to raise the bar up here to see that there's, there's this higher view of the Father in Scripture than there are earthly fathers. That it pleases Him to have us come to Him and to say, Father, as our Father, will He not be merciful to us in our weaknesses? Will He not be merciful to us in our infirmities? Will He um, not make the best of our defective messes? Will He deny us anything that is good for us? Will He not hear the voice of His child? The point is this. We have access with boldness to Him as a Father and have an advocate with the Father and Spirit and the Spirit of adoption. Even when we come repenting of our messes, even when we come in our sins feeling as though we're unworthy, as we really truly are, we approach Him as a loving Father. So again, as we kind of touched on it last week, I want you to think of the prodigal. When he came, and he's running, and he's coming to see his Father, and he's seeking forgiveness and grace, he's just wanting to be received as a son again, but he, he's very willing to be just a servant in the home, or whatever the case may be, one of his Father's workers what did he do? He's running, and as he's coming, the father starts running out to him, which would not have been what a father would do. Then he runs to his son, and he receives him. It is an encouragement to God that we come to him. Not as unreconciled persons to an avenging judge, but to a loving, gracious, reconciled father in Christ. And so do you see how God is personal to you? His child. Do you trust that He has called us to an intimate relationship with Him in prayer? Now, let me add one more thought to this, and that's this. You may think, well, I don't even know how effective my prayers are. It doesn't matter. Look at it this way. He wants you to come and sit on His lap, so to speak, and be in His presence in prayer. That's what He's doing. So let's consider our second aspect here, our second thought that we want to look at today. Um, our God, our Heavenly Father is, um, is uh, personal. Secondly, our Heavenly Father is great. He is great. The phrase in heaven balances the intimacy of a personal father with the affirmation of God's sovereignty and majesty. So our attention is drawn from that close, familiar relationship we have been invited to, to the amazement of the one to whom we have been called into intimacy with. Now there are many things that we could look at this. I'm, I'm not kidding you. As I thought about this, I started making a list. What does it mean that he is in heaven? What does that mean? What does that mean? What does that mean? You could list all kinds of things here, but I want you to just look at a few with me. Grasp it. As a matter of fact, this week, let me just charge you. Go back to these verses yourself. Meditate on them and think about how you could unpack this. And look at some cross-references. Think about the gloriousness of what this is saying. And even write down some more things about our Heavenly Father being great. The first one I want you to see is this. We are to approach the Heavenly Father with reverence. With reverence. He is in heaven. 
We are always called to be reverent in God's presence through prayer. We come as His blessed children, but we come with a spirit of devout humility and meekness. There is never a, a mindset of chumminess that we sometimes can slip into here. You know, God's my. There's this video, uh, some of my friends have put this up over the years. It's this video of the 1970s, and it's a music video, and it's called Jesus is My Friend. And these guys are dressed up in 70s outfit, and like the song is Jesus is My Friend. And I'm like, everybody just looks at it and goes, oh my goodness, that's terrible. I mean, Jesus is our friend, but not like that. And that's the point here. Listen to this. Listen to what Exodus says. Exodus 3, 5. God called us to him out of... I'm sorry. God called to him out of the bush Moses. He says, Moses. And Moses said this. Here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet. For the place on which you are standing is holy ground. How do you think you ought to approach God? What about this one? Isaiah 6.1, very famous. Both of these are famous, but this one's famous. One that we like to think about and meditate on. When Isaiah was called into a vision of, of the Lord in, in Isaiah 6, he saw the Lord sitting upon the throne high and lifted up. The train of His robe filled the temple. Above Him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two, He covered His face. And with two, He covered His feet. And with two, He flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of the host. The whole earth is full of His glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook. And the voice of Him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. I mean, think about it. And what did Isaiah say? Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. What about in the New Testament? Um, think about this one. Peter and John, they're, they're uh, kind of taken in for questioning. Um, they're released by the official. You know, the official was saying, we forbid you to speak of this Jesus any longer. And, and you know, they made their defense and, and they, they were released though. And, and they went to their friends and, and they reported what the chief priests and the elders said to them. And this is what the scripture says in Acts uh, 4.24. And when they heard it, they lifted up their voices together and said, Sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the seas and everything in them. Now when you hear these little portions from Scripture, and I could bring out dozens more, does that sound like you should be approaching God as, hey dude, how's it going? I don't think we ought to be approaching God as dude. Now, I'm going to say this, and I want you to understand. I think when new believers come, they approach God like that. I remember I was at a youth retreat one time, and, and this girl came to, uh, this guy told a story about a girl coming to Christ, and she actually used the F bomb in her first prayer to God. And so sometimes it's like, you know, I think God gets that. He understands where people are coming from. But as we grow in His grace and we grow in knowledge of Him, I think He calls us to see Him as holy as Moses was called to. As holy as Isaiah. As, as, as reverent as, as Peter and John and the disciples are praying to the Father here. Hey, dude, is not how we need to pray, approach God. 
we, even though we are his children, we still want to come to him with a spirit of devout reverence and humility. Uh, one article I read noted, reverence for God is a quality missing in, what, uh, in much of what masquerades as Christianity today. Do you think that's true? Sometimes I do. But the real question is this, is that true for us? For you and me in this room? So now we're hearing the word, and if it is today, hopefully this afternoon when you walk out of here, it won't be true of you any longer because you will have heard the word and you will have not been a man who looked in the mirror and turned away and forgot himself, but you would see this word and know that this is true and I need to live in this way, that we approach our God in reverence. So when you take the time to read through the Scriptures, um, the last couple days, one of the things I've been doing is I've been staining our pergola, um, or portico, or whatever you want to call that thing. It's the thing with, whatever you call it. It's the thing with strips. You know what I'm talking about. It takes forever to do, because you got to do it a little bit at a time, and I didn't want to spray, because it's a mess. So I'm doing it with a little roller, and I'm, and I'm listening to, I was behind two weeks, Jessica, in my, in my Bible reading. So I'm listening to the Word of God. And I'm, I'm literally at one point, you know, um, as I'm thinking about this sermon and everything, I'm, I'm listening to it, and God does something. I'm like, God, I don't know you sometimes. I just don't know you. You remember Uriah, he touched the ark, poof, he dies. David's angry, it says. Now, I almost wonder if he's just angry at himself. I don't know, or if he's angry. But he's angry, <laughs> And I'm like, Lord, who are you? That you would, you know, not punish some people right away, but others you would right away. I don't know you as well as I should. When we get into the reading of God's Word like that, where we're doing a sweep, when we're studying, pay attention to who God is, to His glory, to His sovereignty, to His majesty, and reflect on how He is to be treated and let it reveal your mindset on this matter. Another thing that we could reflect on in this is our Heavenly Father is not like our earthly father. He's not like it. We've already kind of touched on that. John Calvin said this. He said that God is lifted up above all chance or either corruption or change. It is as if he, had been, if he had been said to be of infinite greatness or loftiness, of, inc of in incomprehensible essence, of boundless might, of everlasting Im immortality. This takes us back to the beginning and intro of the sermon. God, the Father, is far above our earthly fathers in every way. Notice Calvin's choice of words, the first one. Above all chance, corruption or change. Just think about chance for a minute. Nothing God does or ever did will have anything to do with chance. It doesn't work that way. Could any of us or anyone you know say any of this to, of yourself? Could you say that you have infinite greatness, that you're incomprehensible in essence, that you have boundless might, and you have everlasting immortality? No one could say that. Though some of you might try to claim some of those attributes, we would all laugh. Because we know it's just not true. 
God is different. He is not like our, our earthly fathers. He is far above. So he is in heaven. Think about that just a minute. He is in heaven. That brings us to our third key thought here. Our heavenly father is sovereign above all things. The phrase in heaven shows us that the power and sovereign right of our Father is to answer requests and deposing of them according to His infinite wisdom. So as we pray to Him, we can trust that He is sovereign over whatever we're praying about. Sometimes we don't like that. Sometimes we are uncomfortable with that. Sometimes you could say, I don't think God's hearing my prayers. Oh, I assure you He is. If He created all things, if He upholds all things through His Son, as Hebrews 1.3 tells us, then do you think we can trust Him with our prayers? Might He have the best answers for us with the greatest care, even though sometimes it may not seem like it at the time? In the next chapter of Matthew as Jesus continues his teaching in 7:11, he says these words, and they're, they're, they're words that you've heard before, but listen to them afresh. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Notice the words there, you who are evil that know how to give good gifts to your children. Wow. Do you see the contrast there? The Heavenly Father knows how to give good gifts to those who ask. So how might grasping these key issues be important for our prayer? As the Lord has taught us. To summarize this aspect of in heaven, the Heidelberg Catechism says, this teaches us not to think of God's heavenly majesty as something earthly, and to expect everything needed for body and soul from God's almighty power. That's amazing. So, again, our God, the Father, our Heavenly Father is personal. Our Heavenly Father, our God, is great. And finally, we come to our, our last point. Our Heavenly Father is loving. Here again, Matthew seven eleven. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask Him? What is Jesus assuming here? What is He assuming? Have you ever felt like that you can't trust God the Father to be good? You know, life is hard, isn't it? Um, sometimes others are difficult to be around to deal with. Uh, maybe something doesn't go my way. Uh, something's always going wrong. Maybe we look at ourselves and say, I'm not worthy. I'm sure you could add a few more thoughts to that. Do we know that God is good? Jesus assumes it because it's true. It just is. When you go to the Scriptures and you read through it, you just read through it, the Bible reveals to us um, these, this goodness that is God. As a matter of fact, it's, it's amazing. And I want you to think about it this way. It is through the Bible that God does reveal Himself. Okay? 
So as you're there, as you're in the Bible, even though there are things that you may not understand that are being taught, it is telling you about who God is and His plan for redemption and and even how we are to live. And so as it reveals who God is, um, as it tells us about Him from His own Spirit-inspired writers, you see that God is good. Listen, for example, to Deuteronomy 7.9. Know therefore... That the Lord your God is God, the faithful God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love Him and keep His commandments to a thousand generations. What about Jeremiah 31.3? Jeremiah, the Lord appeared to him from far away. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. Isaiah 43, 4 through 5. Because you are precious in my eyes and honored, I love you. I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and from the west. I will gather you. Psalm 103 that Jessica read, the great hymn of divine mercy, proclaims, As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed, remembers that we are dust. He knows how we are formed, he remembers that we are dust. From God the Father comes infinite love out of his goodness. Infinite love. It's a tenderness that leans over us as weak children who have need of everything. I mean, sometimes we think we're in control. You know, I love movies today and books and stories and stuff about people and they're like, I just want to be in control. The real reality is is that we're not. We're not in control. In our smallness and in our weakness of frailty of human nature, His grace and mercy pours out love. Consider this, out of love before the foundation of the world, he set his great redemption plan in place. The manifestation of that was sending his son Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would have eternal life. Think of it, he entered into our fragility He came into our brokenness. And and He did that. That which we could never do. He took upon Himself the sins of the whole world. Think of it. An innocent lamb offered as the sacrificial lamb. He reopened for us the path of communion with God and making us the true children of God. In this, the definite role of the Father is revealed in all its glory. For there, on the glorious cross, the full manifestation of the greatness of God as Almighty Father is manifested to us. Romans says, but God shows His love for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Read the Scriptures. Read the Bible. You will meet a God that you sometimes can't comprehend. And what I'm telling you is, Abraham couldn't. 
Moses couldn't. David couldn't. The disciples couldn't. Yet, you will find there as well a heavenly Father who loves you and manifested that love tangibly, historically, vividly in Christ Jesus. His life and resurrection, or I should say His life and His death and His resurrection all scream out to you, the Father loves you. So again, as you think about that truth, as you meditate on these words, uh, meditate on any scripture that you come across that points out God's love for you. Secondly, trust in your prayers that God is a father who cares about his children. Sometimes we don't get the answer we want. Sometimes we want things quicker than God is doing it. I mean, there's all kinds of things that are going on. But here's what I'm talking about. Sometimes in my prayers as I'm praying, you know, I'm kind of on this level. And it's sometimes I'll just go deep and I'll say, Lord, I know you hear me here. I know you're going to answer. I trust you. Answer in your way, Lord. In your will. Pray to God according to His character as a generous father. Know that he loves you as a child. This opening designation of God establishes the kind of father to whom our prayers are offered. And that's what Jesus is drawing our attention to here. He is the one who establishes the real and true nature of fatherhood. He is our God. He is personal. He is great. And He is loving. So believe and trust on Him as such. Let us pray. Father, thank You so much for Your Word uh, to, to us this morning. Uh, thank You for the time that we've had to meditate here. And I pray that we would hear the words even as we pray this prayer in our personal prayer time or whenever we recite it or read it again in the next several weeks, Lord, that as we hear our Father in heaven, that we would look to you, our personal God, our great God, our loving God, and hear the words scream out at us, the Father loves you. Thank you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for loving us so much that you would give us your Son, and we could have this relationship with you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.